to episode 127 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 24th of May, 2021. I'm Charu, and with me are Phelan. G'day. Graham. Bonsoir. And Will. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) No attempt was made. So we've got a packed show, we should get straight on with it. Up first, first impressions. So a couple of weeks ago, we pressed the random distribution button on DistroWatch, and it gave us Nixos, which is a distro with an unusual approach to package management, let's say. We got quite a lot of pre-feedback about this. Andrew wrote to us and said, if you find that you like Nixos or its package manager, you might also like to try installing Nix on your normal distro. You could also take a look at Geeks. This is a sort of clone of Nixos, an OS and package manager except all free software, although you can install non-free software if you wish. And rather than using a config language like Nix does, it uses a fully-fledged programming language called Guile, which is Scheme, a Lisp dialect, for configuration. Geeks lets you programmatically configure an entire system, build images from those config files, distribute distro-agnostic packs of software, install specific software versions, and isolate them in your own environment. Or you can just ignore all that and use it as a bog-standard package manager. Check it out. It's nuts. (laughs) <laughs> I agree with the last like one and a half words whatever <laughs> yeah so this is an unusual distro there's no two ways about it because it's not really a distro it's the, the Nixos itself is more of a sort of technical demonstration of the package manager is that fair to say? Yes, I think so. They certainly take every opportunity to push the package manager and it being available separately on other distributions. Yeah, and I did try that briefly on Ubuntu and it worked fine, pretty much. So there was a GNOME version and a Plasma version, or like a minimal one. I went for Plasma and booted it up and it was like, oh, right, a nice Plasma desktop. And I had three icons on the desktop and they were terminal. Gparted and manual. I saw those three. I thought, oh no, oh no, there's not going to be an easy installer here if they have the manual on the desktop. And I was right. It's not just a next, next, next style installer. It's not even a horrendous one like Fedora. Don't at me. I installed that on a tablet recently. It was a nightmare. But it's it's not got a graphical installer. And I was like, oh no, this is going to be as bad as Arch, isn't it? But it wasn't. It's pretty straightforward. If you know what you're doing, I think you would have had to have had some experience with Linux before to get this installed, though. I chose the GNOME one because it said it was recommended and, you know, also GNOME. The first thing that struck me, though, was that the graphical image, the download, was only 1.4 gig. Now, after Endless last week or the week before, <laughs> that was that was quite a shock. But, yeah, it was, it was nice and compact. Um, I had a few problems getting it to boot, though, because I didn't think the ISO was signed, so I had to turn off Secure Boot in order to get the thing to, to actually start up. But when I did get it to boot up, it did boot into the UI on the haunted laptop. So great success, which is something that neither Ubuntu nor or uh, Enders could manage. So, yeah, you know, off, off to a good start. But lo- then, like you say, like, how do I actually get this thing to install? The GNOME version uh, boots to a desktop on which there is nothing. <laughs> no terminal, no parted, no nothing because of the design decisions the GNOME team have incorrectly made. Um, but, I, you know, I got a terminal up. But I did find that things like the, um, the shortcut 
that uh, Ubuntu have put in there for terminal, Control Alt T, wasn't bound to the terminal. So, oh, what? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, so it took me a little while to um, get around that. And I also fell into a trap with having to um, disable secure boot. I also figured that I had to install it in BIOS mode rather than EFI mode. Uh, and I got stuck in a bit of a loop there trying to work out exactly what I was supposed to be doing. But finally... Got it to boot, secure boot off, EFI on, all the partitions created, uh, followed the instructions, logged in as root, uh, <laughs> but there we go, uh, and then wanted to install Firefox. And it's at this point that I gave up. <laughs> so it's funny that you installed the EFI one. I also installed the EFI one to a KVM virtual image, which ran CBIOS. So I had to redo the entire thing again as well because it wouldn't boot after that and i also don't know my own locale names properly because i thought i put in ie that didn't work and it kept bombing out of the installer loads of times it was ie underscore en no none of these things worked uh, so i gave up when i picked us english and then i couldn't find the bloody at key the hash key <laughs> or any of these things and uh but i mean looking at the config file it is kind of cool from a sysadmin point where you could think where you could push a lot of these out through a pixie boot system or whatever and get exactly what you want. Like the, I liked the fact that I could partition the disk properly in the installer because I don't overly like the way any of the other distros do this because I don't feel like you get enough control where, you know, you might want to put ZFS in your home directory, but not on this part, but you want to put that as a, a RAID partition, whatever. And it looks like you could do all of those things and then pre-configure it quite nicely in a, you know, it's a not a horrible config file format. I don't know what it actually is, but it's not terrible. Yeah, and if you're following the instructions, you basically have to mount the disk that you want to install it on, and then you can generate a config file with one command, and then you go in and edit that config file. And that is where the power of this distro and package manager comes from, you have ultimate control over it. That doesn't necessarily appeal to me, but I can see how it would appeal to some people. Yeah, they talk about that power and that um, reliability on their website. As your desktop being your continuous integration environment, if you know that you have configured your machine in, in a particular way to install a particular version of a particular package, then you can just copy that config off into your CI environment and you can be 100% guaranteed that you're going to get exactly the same environment in your build system as you do on your desktop. I think that's a really nice idea for people who are deploying CI to the cloud every day just to know that they can develop their software, test their software and push it out and it will work. Yeah, I didn't expect Nix OS to be so different in that way. I went for the very minimal download thinking that I would build up an installation from scratch but really <laughs> i got to the command line which actually is functional it's probably the same on your both of your installations you can you've got network and you can do other things with it so it's quite an interesting way to play around with it but i started reading the documentation which actually is excellent the documentation is really well written and it does remind me a lot of arch i think it's a great way of really understanding your system and understanding how Linux comes together. And like you said, I love the fact that everything was from a simple, easily passed single configuration file for all these different aspects. 
And they must have, you know, they come up with a package manager. They think, well, what's the ultimate thing you can do with a package manager? It's it's put together the, the kernel, the system packages, the configuration files, all of that is described, you know, in, in an easily passable file. Um, and so it's really different to what I'm used to, but also really interesting. I think if I'd had more time, I could see myself getting quite into this. Yeah, I think that is the big problem here, that the idea of this segment is to spend about an hour with it and just get some first impressions. That's why it's called that. But this is not a distro and package management system that lends itself to a quick look. It's something you really need to dig into and realize the power that you have with it. For example, I installed the Plasma version, and in the documentation there was something about XFCE. I was like, oh, right, yes. And it was literally editing a couple of lines of that config file, running one command, reboot, suddenly xfce sweet and it's that power that it gives you that is very attractive to some people but i just ain't nobody got time for that unfortunately when i can just download something like zubuntu or if i'm feeling a bit more adventurous endeavor os that is you know a pre-configured xfce desktop but for people who want it just their way you know i, c- I could see this having real appeal to them and that's why when we said we were going to do this, we got so many people writing to us saying, oh, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about it. I handle all my configuration files through a private Git repo, which I find really handy for keeping track of changes when something's broken. But that's really just for, you know, user accessible files. It's quite a, you, this, so everything's atomic in this. And you'll be, if you put, you know, you can see all the changes to the configuration file and easily see what's changed or roll back or roll forward. And that's really interesting from a, an entire operating system point of view. It would be nice if, um, I don't know whether there is something that's more like, you know, like Manjaro became for Arch, mm. you know, something where, which is an easy place for most people to jump off and start using the distro like they, they normally do, but can take advantage of some of the unique aspects of Nixos. Right, so I think the takeaway is that uh, we appreciate it for what it is, but it's probably not the best for us at this time in our lives. So let's go to DistroWatch then and press the random distribution button. And what have we got? Rocky Linux. Ah, now this is new. This is essentially CentOS, but there is a desktop version of it, so... I mean, it's been a long time since I looked at CentOS, and I suppose this is a, you know, it's fairly new. Maybe we can give this a go and see what we think of it. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it. Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with a choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux.
on to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And just a quick reminder that the next Mumble get-together will be on Friday the 4th of June at 10pm UK time. Details at latenightlinux.com slash mumble. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets. Training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. I've just started my learning journey with CBT Nuggets, but I've already picked up tons of knowledge from the short and manageable videos in the Docker and Network Fundamentals courses. Their in-house trainers are active and certified IT professionals who add around 40 hours of new training to the course catalog each week so you can always stay current and up to date. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. Let's do some feedback then. And bad news, Fainim, almost every single person <laughs> that got in touch with us about this said the artwork is fine. Keep it as it is. You're all fucking losers. Well, <laughs> Peter specifically said, the chat about the logo made me laugh as the Late Night Linux logo is a work of art compared to the two and a half admins one. <laughs> did you do that yourself, Joe? Yes. <laughs> That's, that is genius. What I did was, I did a pseudo update, screenshotted the terminal, blurred it a bit, and then got a font and wrote that on there. It took me an hour to do that, and it's great. At least it's got two completely different colours in it as opposed to two different shades of the same fucking colour, which is no colour at all, black and grey. Well, whatever. An anonymous person, I think, it, it looked that way from the email, but anyway, it said, your logo is the XFCE of logos. So I rest my case, two fucking colours. <laughs> oh, I rest my case, therefore it is awesome and the best logo outdated <laughs> whatever uh, Nigel said I can suggest some alternative Linux audio editors that generally pass below the radar should Audacity become unacceptable or unavailable following its takeover by MuseScore with the exception of Ocean Audio they don't seem to get any maintenance anymore but I've been using them off and on for years without any problems they work fine and he sent us a bloody great big list Sweep Ocean Audio MH Wave Edit, Audio Recorder, and GNOME Wave Cleaner. And I had no idea there were so many ways to do audio stuff on Linux, because obviously you think of Audacity, and then a proper digital audio workstation would be Ardor. But there seem to be actually quite a few in between. Graham, have you heard of any of these? I have actually, yeah, because they used to be a part of the magazine that was um, Roundup of Apps. And every three or four years, we'd do a Roundup of Audio Apps. So I think the last time I did it, in fact, Sweep won. I really like Sweep. Um, but yeah, the problem is that they're not being developed. And um, I think, as Nigel mentions, Sweep does get the lads bar parallel effects right. And it's got a lovely UI. Um, the rest of them, I'm not sure. I mean, yes, if Audacity goes down the drain, then uh, it's great that we can still do some simple audio editing. But I, I like Sweep. The Ocean Audio is probably the second, <laughs> second best in that list. Yeah, that's the one I'd heard of, Ocean Audio. And Audio Recorder I had heard of, but I think that's not in the Ubuntu repos. You have to add a PPA or something for that. So that's not attractive to me. But yeah, thank you, Nigel, for uh, 
all those tips and I'll put links to all of those in the show notes for anyone who wants to check them out don't forget K-Wave oh yeah K-Wave <laughs> uh, well stick it in the notes and I might link to it if you're lucky it could be good K-Wave it's just not changed since 2002 <laughs> <laughs> oh right that sounds good I should check it out have you seen the screenshots for sweet Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that looks good man that looks like Amiga style I like it yeah yeah I think I might have to change to that that's it you're all installing sweet from now on <laughs> All right, Richard said, I tried Endless OS myself this week to play along with you guys exploring distros. You said you had an issue with the image needing the whole disk. I dropped the Endless ISO onto my 128 gig USB drive that I have Ventoy installed on, so I can easily boot from a bunch of random ISOs and not bother deleting them too often, and it worked fine from there as a live image. Thought I'd plug Ventoy to you just in case you're unfamiliar as it might make the distro exploration process a little easier. Now, Ventoy is something that I hear a lot of people talking about and I've not tried out. Have any of you lot tried this out? Never. What I'm tempted to do is get one of those enclosures that you can put um, an M.2 drive in, maybe even an MVME drive. And, you know, if you had a 120 gig one of them, you could put loads of ISOs on that and get, you know, super fast speeds. So I should do it, but I just, I've got a couple of fast USB drives, so I can't really justify the expense, to be honest. Do they do some sort of magic to make the ISO work properly? Because I tried this using uh, Grub's boot from ISO command that you can do, and I just had Grub installed and fed it a load of paths, but it never did any of the commands properly with the magic of whatever the CDs used to get working properly. I've not tried it, so I couldn't tell you firsthand, but from what I've heard, then yes, it does deal with all of that for you. Nice one. You just stick it onto the USB drive and then just sling your ISOs on there and boot from any of them. And the thing about Endless is you can have persistence with that, uh, which we didn't actually mention when we talked about it. So you don't have to install it. You could run it from a fast USB drive with persistence. Yeah, very very handy for going to a customer site where you have to bring, you know, like the last four versions of Ubuntu server and maybe Red Hat, CentOS or something like that as well. And then have one single stick rather than my bag of ropey uh, USB sticks, it'd be great. All the free ones you got at conferences. Yeah, write once, never read again. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into your Linux environment. By uniting metrics and events from servers, databases, applications, and more, Datadog can easily give you a unified view into your entire infrastructure. Easily identify hidden sources of latency, like overloaded hosts, by monitoring server metrics alongside application data. With machine learning-based alerts and features like anomaly detection, Datadog can also help you to monitor and alert on the health of your servers in real time without alert fatigue. Start your Datadog trial today by visiting datadog.com slash late night Linux. Start your free trial, create one dashboard, and you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash late night Linux. Let's talk about the Pine phone then. Now, I ended up with two Pine phones uh, when the Braveheart edition came out because I bought one and then it never arrived. And then I was given one by Pine. And uh, so that was the one I used. And I just never even opened the box for the second one. And I was supposed to give it to you, Failing, but then sending internationally was tricky. I'm still better. With the battery. It turned out that we could have just taken the battery out and sent it to you and you could have bought a battery separately because it's just a, a 
basic uh, Samsung battery fits it. But we didn't work that one out in time. So the long and the short of it is, Graham, you have now got this phone. You've had it for a few weeks. What do you think of it? I've got a real geeky interest in phones that might or might not run Linux. I had a Trolltech green phone and I had a variety of Ubuntu phones as well. And so the first thing, the quality, the actual manufacturing and engineering quality of it, I'm I'm impressed considering what it is. It's got a decent size. It's got a decent display. It's not too heavy. It's about as heavy as my LG G6 with a screen smashed in about 10 different places. And it's really refreshing to be able to do what you want with a phone. So the first thing I did actually was I put, um, I think it's post-market OS with the the Fosh the Fosh UI, which I think is like um, GNOME designed for mobile, a bit like how Plasma Mobile is Plasma Desktop for mobile. Yeah, well, that came from um, Purism, didn't it? Pure OS. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I had to. So, but I did this by. So when you sent it over, it basically just had a very basic boot menu. But they've come up with a system of it's it's called Jump Drive. You basically so there's an SD card reader and there's an eMMC device storage internally stick the uh, jump drive onto the SD card and put it in the put it in the phone and it becomes USB external storage standard external storage and you can use DD or any imaging tool on your Linux desktop to write an actual raw image to either the SD card itself or to the EMMC storage so I did that to write Fosh to it so that was my first UI kind of operating system experience. And that's where kind of your excitement and everything gets a dose of reality when you realize how far we've got to go. <laughs> yeah, because this is not the most powerful device in the world. And this software is not the most mature in the world. And it, yeah, it is a bit of a reality check. Although because I knew we were going to be talking about this, I dug out my Pine phone and uh, installed a couple of different OS's on the SD card and booted them up. And Manjaro Plasma, I put on an SD card and I was so impressed with it that I then installed it on the internal EMMC. So I was actually really pleased with how it's progressed because it's been several months since I dug it out and had a look at it. Did you get a chance to look at Manjaro? Yeah, I did. I tried I tried two Plasma Mobile uh, ones in the end. I tried um, the Manjaro one. And I also tried the post-market OS version. And there's actually a big difference in performance between the two of them, which leads me to think that a lot could be done because the main issue, maybe because I use Plasma as my desktop, is that the response time on everything, you can see there's no optimization in the GPU and lots of the transitions take a long time to react to your input. Mm. Rotating the screen, for example, takes f- seconds. Um, and I often find it takes seconds to unlock the phone. But... Having said that, it seeing this is the first time I've used Plasma on a mobile device and seeing something that you're so familiar with on a Linux desktop, the widgets, for example, the icons, the app names, although I've got a problem with the app names for people who might be coming to the phone not knowing that it's running Plasma desktop. Yeah. It's really quite exciting um, and it's remarkable how well Plasma works um, and how good it looks. I, I mean, the theming, for example, um, you've got the same flexibility as you have on plasma desktop to change all the colors and the palettes and the effects and there's a dark mode and there's a light mode i've got a bit of a dark mode fetish um i like my phones to have a dark mode and plasma was definitely the best one for that um it just 
this is what I just can't see how we're going to get enough effort behind these kind of initiatives to be able to create the performance that we need outside of this being a relatively low spec two or three gig you know phone it just still needs a lot of work around those around everything basically just to make it smooth but you look at ubuntu touch on the pine phone did you have a chance to do that yeah i did so that was the final one i installed and i haven't used ubuntu phone since my i my my myzu mx5 gave up the ghost and so that was really pleasant and really pleasing to see firstly that UB Ports is still developing the old idea, you know, seeing what Unity has become, even though it's now called, um, is it Lomiri? L- Lomiri or something, yeah. It all makes a lot of sense. It's basically, I've I've played on some recent macOS devices and Apple's become obsessed with panels sliding in from the left and the right and the bottom. And that basically is what we had on Unity on the Ubuntu phone. And it, it's been really well executed on UB ports. And I also noticed, despite the fact that it's missing some features, the performance on UB ports was better than any of the other distros I tried on the phone. So those transitions were really quick. Um, entering the pin was really quick. Rotating the phone was really quick and smooth. There's a few quirks that are odd. You, you swipe down from the top to get to the settings pane, but the settings pane is only like five pixels high until you click on the calendar for example and that takes up a bit more space and then you can swipe between them but it's not how you're used to like the android full screen full of options that you can easily access to change easily change the brightness for example it's funny that you were impressed with the performance of ubuntu touch i wasn't really because i've also got a OnePlus one which is a beast of a phone it might be old but that is a great phone and i'm so pissed off with myself that i snapped the antenna off when I tried to change the battery. So Wi-Fi and Bluetooth just basically don't work. You can use Wi-Fi within about six feet of the router, but otherwise it just basically doesn't work. But otherwise, the performance on that is night and day compared to the Pine phone, uh, especially off the SD card. Maybe it'd be different off the EMMC, whatever. But the um, Pine phone seems slow to me compared to the, the OnePlus One. I'm comparing it to... Plasma on the Manjaro um, and on Postmarker OS. I mean, I've got it in my hand now, and yeah, I yeah, I would stand by it. It's you know, I turn it on, the screen comes on instantly. You can swipe in from the right to see those launch icons. Swiping up to to enter the lock mode. It's really quick, much quicker than Plasma was running on this device. I wish I'd done some tests so I could be kind of um, quantitative about it. That's so weird. I had the complete opposite experience. And I don't know why. Like, mm. I found that Plasma, it wasn't the smoothest, but I was so impressed with Manjaro Plasma that I, I installed it on the phone properly. And um, you know, the fact that it's Manjaro, you get updates all the time. Yeah. The graphical updates work, Pac-Man SYU works, and I'm just really impressed with how Manjaro runs on it. Well, also, I think you can't really use UB ports. There are some bits missing, um, like the accounts bit doesn't work the apps are a bit they were the apps are all web apps which i'm not terribly happy with the brightness slider doesn't work so there are things that you just it's not quite there yet so i'd still probably go back to plasma and i really i guess i've i don't know i'd really hope that plasma improves performance or maybe if we see it on a more powerful phone in the future it's quite exciting how did you find the apps did you think that what you use your phone for is usable with what selection you get with either UB ports or Plasma? Honestly, it's going to take 
a kind of an Armageddon to fully make the switch to a device like this. If Google gets incredibly zealous and pushes me over a tipping point, um, then yes, I can see the apps being... Often they're the same apps. I mean, with Manjaro, you can install anything. In fact, there was a point where I installed Telegram and mistakenly installed the desktop version of Telegram, had a mouse pointer on the screen (laughs) and had to, you know, drag it around to be able to get it out of the way. I love it. So if you've got a reason to, then yes, I think the apps are enough. But for most people outside of us, they're going to find it very, very difficult. Oh, well, never mind about those unimportant people. I mean, I, I like the idea that it could be like, I was, oh, I was really hopeful that the Firefox phone would be a very useful device. There'd be enough that I would need on it, but it was such a disaster. And I even bought two of them. So, you know, shame on me. But I like the, the way that you've both described and how you update these phones, the fact that they're actually getting proper updates and the fact that you don't have this horrible, mystical black box that gets installed via the manufacturer that you have to like trust that this rom image that you've got for the the firmware and kernel and stuff is going to be legit uh you know it's just like a linux distro i really like the sound of that and you know maybe we shouldn't optimize too early maybe we should actually just work on the phone on the apps that we need and then you know the next generation comes along like it would be a shame that they spend too long optimizing for it and then you know pine phone 2 comes out or whatever yeah, I don't really understand where the optimization would need to be done, whether it's the, at the driver level or whether it's at the plasma level. Yeah. It feels to me like the best experience. Like I, I do generally have positive things to say about Ubuntu Touch Ubi ports, whatever you want to call it, on proper hardware. Uh, as I say proper hardware, you know, properly powerful hardware, not low-end hardware like this. Because, you know, for your... What are you looking at? About 150-ish quid, maybe 200 quid, something like that for a Pine phone. And I was thinking about this, like what could you get for that kind of price? New, not much, but decent nick off eBay. You could get like a Pixel XL maybe, maybe even a Pixel 2, run Lineage on it with just F-Droid. And yeah, okay, you've not got proper GNU slash Linux, but you've got a relatively private phone there. And that still seems to me like the only serious realistic option if you want to avoid iPhone and Android with Google Apps. But the only problem there is that your kernel and your driver level is not getting updated. And, yeah. you, you know, that's such a low level thing that you really want it to be updated and it's just not cared for properly at all. Mm. I actually, I do agree with you, Joe. I mean, in comparison to running F-Droid apps on, you know, something like Lineage, which I feel much more comfortable with. I really wish there was a, a more effective Android open source platform. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. Next time, we'll probably be talking about what's been going on in the news, but we'll have to see about that. Until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>